0: Hi, mai Kite roki roki o, te awa o Kia ora and welcome to the podcast of the River o Pawahu. This is part 3 of a series that we did in the Sermon on the Plain Which we find in Luke chapter 6 Our prayer is that God would speak to you through this teaching today Grace and peace Krihiti manu taclimai attaka aoka awka awatiya tee hee moriora te narata out. Good to be here today. It's just like there's a good vibe. I love seeing all your smiley faces. It's just great to be together. Today's talk is called "But What About Them? How to Judge Others and Stuff Like That." I'm very excited about it. We've been in a series on the Sermon on the Plain, which is like the Sermon on the Mount's weird cousin, and we've been working through it. It does this really interesting thing, just like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew four starts with Jesus proclaiming the good news and going around and healing people. And then he describes what this new kingdom movement is like. The same thing happens in Luke chapter six in the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus has called these disciples, he's healed a whole bunch of people. So they've stepped into this new reality and then he offers this teaching to them about what it means to live from this new reality. He starts painting a picture of the upside down kingdom that we're called to inhabit and to be a part of. There's this thing that I've been thinking about recently, which is cool, is that Jesus' communities started forming before Jesus died and rose again. So people had experienced Jesus' miraculous healings and that experienced his teaching. And then they went back to their towns and they started to live out of this new way of being. They followed this rabbi, they followed this teacher. And then in and through Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, and then the, the collection of these gospels, for thousands of years, communities have been doing the same thing. It's been... Experiencing the divine, experiencing God, experiencing His miraculous, and then aligning our lives to what it means to live as His kingdom people. And so as we jump into the Sermon on the Plain again, it's a call to us, it's an invitation to us to shape our lives around the reality of who Jesus is, and to step into this kingdom way of being in the world. You are with me? Yeah, Awesome. Uh, So I want to start, how you start all good sermons, with a couple of memes. Or if you're my mum, these are, up until recently, were called memes. But the correct way to pronounce it is meme. I love this. Jesus, table for 26, please. Waiter, but there are only 13 of you. Jesus, yes, but we're all going to sit on the same side. (laughs) That's a great meme. Uh, here's Here's another great one. God, what are they doing down there? Angel, they're making milk from almonds. God, what? I gave them like eight animals to get milk from. Angel, they don't like that milk. (laughs) God's like, what? And this is the meme that is going to slightly, tenuously link these memes into my sermon. Me, an intellectual judging people for making the mistake that I recently learned to stop making. (laughs) I have one of these, and it is to the bane of the existence of everyone else on the staff team. Literally a few years ago, I learned the difference between the use of the word fewer and the word less. And now I am the fewer police. So if you don't know the difference, you can have less money, but fewer dollars. So if it's something that you can count up, it's fewer, and if it's something that is in a bulk, it's, it's less. And I am the fewer police, and the staff team hate it, and I look down my nose, just like this, like, oh, you don't know how to use English. <laughs> and this is the type of person that Jesus calls us not to be. So to the staff team, I'm so sorry, I will say fewer, less. <laughs> The sermon is called, cool, But What About Them? And we are diving into Luke uh, six thirty-seven through to 42. Let me just read it to you as a chunk. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. And here endeth the reading. So Luke has just collected a bunch of Jesus' teachings and put them here as a kind of like, this is symbolic or representative of the types of teachings that Jesus was sharing as he went from town to town, talking to people about this new kingdom reality that you can step into. And there's three thoughts for us to sort of work through here today. So the first one is this, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned, forgiven you will be forgiven, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. Sounds weird. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Every time I think about this scripture, I feel like you can't be a follower of Jesus and one of those people at the supermarket who walks up to you when you're like buying a bottle of wine or something, they look at you and they're like, beep. I'm like, you judged me. <laughs> Every single time. You can work at the supermarket. It's fine. and be a follower of Jesus. But you know, that experience of being judged is so weird. Specifically the supermarket. When you walk up and they just stare at you for a while, and they're like, yeah, you're all right," and they give you a beep, or if you're lucky and you're me, every now and then someone still asks for my ID, and then I do like a wee dance and celebrate, some of you won't know what that's like. (laughs) I literally think about this scripture every single time I have that experience. Because it's like the most tangible just moment of someone staring at you, sussing you out, making a judgment call about you, and then responding in some sort of way. And there's this interesting thing about being a human where we actually all want to be judged, but we want to be judged favorably. And so we put a lot of effort into having people judge us favorably. And what Jesus is getting into here is that's a really, really easy rabbit hole to go down. This is a really interesting scripture in that there's a peer here. So it's like, if you judge, you're gonna be judged. If you condemn people, you're gonna be condemned. And then Jesus offers this counter. So instead of going around judging people or condemning people or coming up with opinions about how righteous someone is or isn't or making up a backstory for someone's motivations, instead of doing that, instead of judging, instead of condemning, he goes, you know what the Jesus life is like? You forgive. When you're tempted to go down that road of judging someone, instead, change course, repent, and go for forgiveness. Because when you forgive, you will be forgiven and you need forgiveness. When you're tempted to do condemnation, when you're like, that person wronged me, I'm gonna tell everyone about what that person did. Jesus' repent move here is instead of doing condemnation, do generosity. And it breaks the cycles that we're so tempted to run with. We're so tempted to heap up judgment and to heap up condemnation. We don't use those words But when you practice forgiveness instead, it breaks that cycle and takes you down a different path. When you practice generosity instead, it breaks that cycle and it sends you down a different path. And it can be what you do to others, but do you know the crazy thing is when you are judging and condemning and someone responds to you with forgiveness or generosity, it breaks the cycle for you. I was quite annoyed at someone, not from this community, it was, (laughs) recently, And that person found out that I was unwell and dropped some food at my house. I didn't know they knew I was unwell. I didn't know they knew our family was unwell. But they put some food at our doorstep. And this generosity broke my judgmental condemning, that person. Their generosity incited within me, sending me down a different pathway, which was to be forgiving, forgiving and to be generous and to love. This is an invitation to being a different type of kingdom, a different type of kingdom people. And it's so basic on paper, it really is, but it is so easy to find yourself going down that judging, condemning pathway again and again. The thing I love about this is this is a teaching to you individually, but this is a teaching to us as a community Because sometimes the way that you can break the judgmental, condemning presence of another is by responding with generosity and responding with forgiveness. It does something profound. We've talked about this a few times here, but I love the picture of forgiveness as breathing. You breathe in the forgiveness from God. And if that's all you do, you will suffocate. Because then you're invited to breathe out that forgiveness to others. I've been forgiven, I forgive others who piss me off. I've been forgiven, oh, that person annoyed me so much, but I'm gonna respond with forgiveness. If you move through life like that, you don't suffocate. Second chunk, Jesus also told them a parable. This was great. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now there are a bunch of ways that the scripture has been engaged with throughout church history. But the idea that I want to go after today, and it's in here, is comparison and competition. It is so easy to get stuck in a cycle of thinking, I know more than that person. I'm more competent than that person. I have more to offer than that person, is to see ourselves as above and better. And when you take the posture of seeing yourself as above and better, often you'll find yourself stumbling into pits you weren't aware of because you thought you had it all worked out. I love this quote. We rob ourselves of immeasurable joy when we compare what we know about ourselves with what we don't know about someone else. We rob ourselves of immeasurable joy when we compare what we know about ourselves with what we don't know about someone else. This comparison game, this working out who's got the most to offer, who's the most valuable, this this sense of self-importance or self-entitlement that comes along with comparison and competition, it robs us because you either... There's two options here. You either compare the best parts of yourself with the worst parts of other people, and so walk through the world feeling superior and righteous, and you talk down to other people, and you feel like you've got nothing to learn from them, and it's a horrible posture in the world. Or you do the opposite, which is you constantly compare the worst bits of yourself with the best bits of other people, and you walk around in the world feeling horrible about yourself, Both of those postures are unhelpful. I heard this said once, and it has resonated with me for years. And when I find myself in this cycle, this is the quote that I return back to. It's really simple, but I want you to really sit with this. Faith is the relentless pursuit of who God created you to be. Everything else is sin. I love how provocative that quote is. It's so easy to be what other people want you to be or be like, oh, there's this thing about this person, so if I'm more like that, then you know, you know the games, you know the cycle, you know how this all works. Faith is the relentless pursuit of who God created you to be and everything else is sin. It's missing your calling. It's missing your vocation. It's missing the thing that God has for you. And... If you've run down that path before, you're in great company. So this is at the end of the book of John. John is awesome. I love all his little asides. So Peter's like, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then three denials, right? Jesus dies, rises again, and he's walking along the road with Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes. Okay. And so Jesus gives Peter this like incredible call over his life. They're walking along the road. He's just had this reinstatement experience. He's been given his vocation. And then this is what Peter does. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is one of John's asides. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, so when Peter saw John, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You, you must follow me. It is really easy, really easy to compare our path, compare our lives, to compete in our lives with others. And Jesus' call to Peter is the same call to us. You, you follow me. What other people's callings are, if you're more important, if you're more significant, if you're the teacher, if they're the student, that's not important. The thing that you're called to do is be a follower of Jesus. So, can the blind lead the blind? No. How do you avoid that? You take on a posture of continual learning, continual curiosity, and that continual question of God, what are you calling me to this day? How can I be your follower today? I love the way that Paul takes this whole concept in Galatians. This is the message translation. It's so beautiful. In light of everything that Jesus has done, in light of his spirit being poured out on us, since this is the kind of life that we have chosen, the life of the spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Do you know what that means? It means that we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. One of the most amazing things that you can do with your life is relentlessly pursue becoming the person that God created you to be. Everything else is missing the point. Last chunk. I don't know about you guys, but every time I read the scripture, I just feel like this is a Monty Python sketch that they entirely missed. Like in my head, I've got like an optometrist. Right, So there's this guy with like a speck in his eye, and it's really annoying him, and he's you know, British, I've got a speck in my eye, and so he goes to the optometrist, and then the optometrist turns around, and there's just like a massive log sticking out of the guy's face, and like, as the log's just swinging around, he's breaking all the glasses, and everything And the optometrist just is just falling down, and the guy with the speck is like, are you sure that you're in the best you know, state to be doing this? And he smacks him in the head with the log, can you guys picture this? I've got like this entire skit in my head that I feel like John Cleese would have nailed, and I actually think the point here is this is, this is hilarious hyperbole. Yeah. Like it's lost in translation, but Jesus has some very funny, witty one-liners. He uses these incredibly interesting images that stick in our mind. And we should see the humor in this. How ridiculous would it be if someone had a log sticking out of their eye and they walk up to you and smack you in the head with their big log sticking out of their eye and they go, oh, think you've got a speck in your eye, right? It's just, it's ridiculous. (laughs) It is such a ridiculous picture. And yet, we actually do that all the time. In fact, sometimes you're more aware of the speck in someone else's eye because of the massive log in your eye. There's something going on in your life, and so you actually have this easy insight into seeing that same thing play out in other people's lives, and the way to avoid dealing with the log in your eye is to actually highlight and point out everyone else's specks, because you're like, my log's not that bad now, is it, specky, right? (laughs) We We totally do this all the time. I'll tell you what this is. This is the ultimate Jesus scripture point to go to if you ever hear anyone say, love the sinner, hate the sin. Because what this is teaching us is this, if we take it seriously, is the Christian life, what we're called to, is to love the sinner and to hate your own sin. Hate it. Deal to it. Bring it before Jesus. Tell someone else about it. Deal with your log. Because once you've dealt with your log, you might actually have something of value or some ability to actually help people to deal with their speck. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Once you've got it sorted out, maybe you'll have something of value to offer to other people. But until then, loving the sinner and hating their sin is actually just judgment. And you can maintain that posture in life when you are actually honest about how broken and messed up you are. Because while you might not have the same sin thing going on as someone else, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is so profound. Blessed is the one. You are living the good life when you know that you're messed up and you also know that you're forgiven. You're living the good life when you know that your sins have been covered by something that someone else has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself. You are living the good life. You are living the blessed life when there is no deceit in you, which means you are honest with yourself and with others about your shortcomings. And when you can live from the broken but forgiven place, You don't need to have eyes to see the brokenness of everyone else. What you do is you invite them into the broken and forgiven life. You are loved, you are liked, you are broken, you are forgiven, you are trusted with the kingdom. So let's not hone in on everyone's brokenness all the time. Hone in on your own. Let Jesus do that hard work of the soul and then live a whole life which is a signpost to people about the goodness of Jesus. When we live a life where there's reconciliation and restoration happening between us and God, with us and ourselves, with us and others' people, and with us and the Fenua, we become people who are an embodiment of Jesus' work in the world. We do not become that when we point out everyone else's brokenness. Yeah? This is the thing that we're called into. You're loved, you're liked, you're broken, you're forgiven. Do you know who is ultimately responsible for the brokenness of another? It's God. God is our judge. God is our vindicator. And we are not particularly good at actually discerning. That doesn't mean there aren't people who are called to help you to do that work in your soul. That's what good pastors do, that's what good spiritual directors do, that's what great counselors can do, is they can help you to do the work of separating the weeds and the wheat. But someone who hasn't been invited into that space, who starts doing that for you, they mess people up. Mr. Rogers, guys remember that? He has some amazing quotes. This one has been living rent-free in my mind for about a decade. He said this, Frankly, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. It's so easy when you don't know someone's story to look at the weird ways that they interact and the weird things they do and the weird things they say and make up a backstory and judge them and condemn them. The invitation here, this quote just gets to the guts of it, is to know people well. And when you know people well and you practice forgiveness and generosity, a grace forms that can cover over a multitude of sins. And I think this is what John's getting at when he writes, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you know what the upside down kingdom is? It's people who respond to each other in love and grace, and forgiveness, and generosity, even though we annoy the crap out of each other all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, I'm serious here. You want to be part of the river or pawaho? This is the invitation. When people annoy you, don't go and tell someone else. Drop food at their house. That means every time you've got a whole pile of food on your step, you'd be like, What did I do? <laughs> People wrong you. Forgive. Grace, love, forgiveness, generosity. We will be known for the love that we have for one another. This is the call to us as a community, right? The love that we have to give to others is an overflow of the love that we have received from Jesus. It's an overflow from the mysterious, deep, broad, amazing love that has been poured out on that cross. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Jesus gave up His life as loving sacrifice for you, and for us so that we could breathe in that love and then respond to one another in love. All of this, everything that I've said today, it is absolutely dependent on you breathing in the absolutely outrageous love that has been poured out on you because what Jesus did for us. This is the place that we operate from. So I want you to close your eyes and I just want you to listen to this afresh today that you may know deep in your souls the truth about who you are, that you, when we say you are loved and you're liked, this is what we're talking about. So hear the word of the Lord. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. May we know that love that surpasses all knowledge and may it change the way that we love others. That was part three of our series on the Sermon on the Plain. If you want to follow along with this series, then hit subscribe. But like we always say at the River Waffle, you are loved, you are liked, you are broken, you are forgiven, and you are entrusted with the kingdom. Tiara hanua, miturangi marie kiakui. Grace and peace to you. Thank mm-hmm.